Our scripture lesson for this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. Listen now for God's word to you. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked Jesus, Which commandment is the first of all? And Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Being a parent, whether they are, the children are biologically yours, or you're a step-parent, or they're adopted, or if you've occupied that role of parent for somebody, is simultaneously the most joyful, wonderful, and amazing experience of your life, along with being the most exhausting experience of your life. Um, it is both fulfilling and it is both draining. I love watching Axel. I love watching him grow and develop and experience the world around him, the, the things he says. He's very quotable. Um, but I'm also not sad when it's bedtime. Um, and so as a, as a parent of, of young children, and if you have been a parent of young children, you know this is true, you come up with little strategies to help you manage the, the sometimes difficult moments of, uh, of being a parent. Uh, so that, that little, you come up with these little white lies to help us to survive sometimes. Um, so you know that, that toy that makes all of the noise and the flashing lights, and it, when it runs out of batteries, they say, Mom, Dad, can you replace the batteries on that? And you just say, I'm sorry, honey, they, they don't make batteries for that toy anymore. Um, or Axel has these, these shows he loves to watch on YouTube, and, and sometimes I find them just so irritating. We tell him, oh, it's, it's not working right now. Um, or on New Year's Eve, and the kids want to stay up till midnight, they want to ring in the new year, uh, but you know that neither them nor you are going to make it to midnight. Uh, you can show them. I've seen a few parents do this. They show them clips of the, not, of the last year's ball drop in New York at like 9 o'clock at night. Um, they can't tell time anyway. Um, and so then you and them can all go and get a really uh, good night's sleep. Uh, a lot of parenting is passing down those lessons that you learned as kids, those lessons that pass down from generation to uh, generation. You know, those kind of staple lessons, don't touch the stove because it's hot, look both ways before crossing the street, or don't get into the car with strangers, you know, stranger danger. That was the, the lesson I was taught a lot as a kid. Although, Someone commented that we've kind of gotten rid of that lesson because we now have apps on our phone, Uber and Lyft, that we call strangers and get into their car and we pay them for it. Um, but I found, too, some of that advice that we give is based off of those old wives' tales that we were told uh, as kids. And old wives' tales, of course, are those things that we all believe are true, but in fact are not necessarily true. Um, but sometimes I, I find out that those old wives' tales are uh, how many of you were told or told your kids that you shouldn't take a shower or a bath during a thunderstorm? Yeah, it sounds like a, a bunch of rubbish, right? Like there's no way that that's true. Well, apparently it is. Apparently that is a possibility. It's on the CDC website. Avoid taking a shower or a bath during a thunderstorm because the lightning can travel through the pipes and you can get struck by lightning. Although it should be noted there has been no, recorded, uh, uh, no recording of that ever happening. So maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. It's probably not the issue that our parents told us that it was. Um, but most of the time, old wives' tales are simply that. They are things that 
we say are true, that we believe are true, uh, but they're actually not. So when I was younger, my dad told me that cold water boils faster than hot water. Um, yeah, we already know it's not true. Um, so even to this day, spaghetti night rolls around, Axel wants some mac and cheese. I still put cold water in the pot because that's what my dad told me to do. That was the, the lesson I was taught. Or you were told as a kid, or you're one of the dads who said this, don't turn the dome lights on in the car at night uh, because it's illegal, they would say. Um, it's not illegal. Um, it's irritating, sure, sure, but it's not illegal. Um, yeah. Um, how many of you are knuckle crackers? Okay, I'm not the only one. My grandmother used to tell me that if I kept cracking my knuckles, I was going to develop severe arthritis in my 20s. Um, I have not developed severe arthritis. I continue to crack my knuckles. Um, sometimes you're in the pulpit, if you've noticed. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, my grandmother told me if you keep rolling your eyes, they're going to get stuck that way. Um, they don't. Well, if, if they did, there'd be a lot more teenagers with their eyes stuck up in their head, right? Um, my point is this, is that lessons stick, messages stick. The things that we learn growing up often remain with us throughout the rest of our lives. So I know that cold water doesn't boil faster than hot water, but I still do that. I still make sure not to turn the dome light on in the car at nighttime because that's the lesson I was taught. I, I still think about developing arthritis when I crack my knuckles because the lessons that I learned as a child, they, they have stuck with me. Um, they remain with me throughout my entire lives, even even when I've proven or we've proven that they're not uh, true, even in the least. And these innocuous examples reveal to us just how important the messages we give are, the messages that we say are. It reveals how important the things that we say to our children can be, that they are listening. And messages of love and acceptance and of worthiness are so important because they shape who they become. They help them to develop a sense of self-worth and understanding, a, a sense of acceptability. And our ability to show love, our ability to be loving people who love our neighbors, it depends on how we have received those messages throughout our lives, how we understand ourselves to be worthy and loved and acceptable. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about here this morning. It's a, a famous scene. A religious scholar stands up to test Jesus and says, Jesus, there are 613 commandments in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Which of those is the most important? And Jesus takes two separate passages and he puts them together. Uh, you no doubt recognize Jesus' answer. It's not only one of the most well-loved passages in Scripture, but it's also the, the charge that I give to you at the end of, of service every single week. Jesus goes first to the book of Deuteronomy, and he quotes what's known as the Shema, the, the hero Israel. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You are to love God with every ounce and every fiber of your being. It is historically, and still is contemporarily, the, one of the most important prayers in Judaism. One that's used at the, the beginning of the day, one that's used to mark the end of the day. Hero Israel, to love God with every fiber and every ounce of our being. If you remember back a couple of months ago, not that you would remember this, I taught you all a Hebrew word, uh, nefesh. Love God with every ounce and every fiber, the totality of who you are. 
And the second commandment comes from the book of Leviticus, a book I know that all of you spend a lot of time reading. Um, It says, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And these two commandments go together. It's not like it's commandment one and commandment two. It's like commandment 1A and 1B, that we know how to love God by the ways that we love our neighbors, and we will spend our entire lives figuring out what that love looks like. It's part of the journey of faith to figure out what it means to love neighbor, what it means to to love God as we love our neighbors. This is a favorite verse, especially among us more progressive Protestant Christians, that we especially love commandment 1B, that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. It gives us our marching orders. It tells us what we are supposed to do, that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are to to go down to the Crossroads Soup Kitchen to collect for SOS, to, to work for racial justice and the climate and all of these things. We love that verse. It's what it means to follow Jesus. And we're going to come back to this verse in a couple of weeks at the end of this sermon series. We're going to come back to this story as Luke tells it to us and to, to figure out what does it mean to love our neighbors But before we get there, I want to stop and and take notice of something that Jesus says, something that we often pass over, that Jesus says that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, as ourselves. And that is a crucial piece of this whole uh, formula, that if we miss that loving our neighbor as ourselves part, if we just skip over to the loving our neighbor, then it just becomes a, a shallow expression of Christian responsibility. That it can easily become a, another form of legalism, just something we are supposed to do. But loving our neighbors as ourselves mean that, means that the love that we express towards our neighbors is something that wells up from within us. That it's, it happens as we sense ourselves as loved and accepted, and it pours out into the world around us. But that loving ourselves part is incredibly difficult. The journey towards self-acceptance and self-worth is not an easy journey. And in some ways, it is far easier for us to focus on loving our neighbors than it is to focus on loving ourselves. Because that journey towards love, self-love and acceptance and self-worth, that can be an incredibly painful journey. That journey within can often take us to places that we swore we would never go again, back to, to wounds that we thought we had, that had healed, to places that we would rather avoid. And in my opinion, it's one of the most difficult journeys of our lives, that there are areas buried deep within our hearts that we would rather not uncover. There are wounds that we would rather not open. We would rather just keep on going, because in so many ways, it is easier for us to just Keep on going. In the Gospels, there's another story where uh, Jesus is walking through Jericho and the crowds are pressing in around him. And uh, there's a blind man, a blind beggar who's sitting there and he hears that Jesus is walking by and he starts shouting after him. And and, uh, the crowd say, be quiet, Jesus is busy, he's doing holy things, leave him alone. But Jesus stops the whole procession and the blind man is brought to him and, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And I love that question because Jesus doesn't assume that the man wants to be healed. The man has to give him permission, has to consent to that act of healing. Not all of us are in a place, not all of us are ready to be healed from the wounds that exist within us. And it requires our consent because it is a a difficult journey. It can be a, a painful one as well. Because we are often our own worst critics, aren't we? That we are often harder on ourselves than we are on anybody else. 
Uh, we engage in a lot of negative self-talk. Heather and I have started doing this thing when one or the other starts engaging in negative self-talk. We say to the other person, would you be talking to me or anybody else the way that you're talking to yourself right now? Because um, the truth is we talk to ourselves in ways that we would never talk to anybody else because of the messages that we have received about our own sense of self-worth. I remember someone telling me that she always considered herself to be the problem in every situation she was in because her mother told her one time, why are you always such a problem? And she internalized that, that message about herself. And, and we sometimes receive messages from the wider culture about, that tell us that we are only worthy as we produce and we create that. If we are not exhausted at the end of every day, then we haven't worked hard enough, then our, our self-worth is not enough because it all derives from how much we produce and how much we create. And our Christian faith, in a lot of ways, has struggled mightily with instilling a sense of self-worth and self-love into its adherence. And I know that it's not true for, uh, for all of you. Some of you uh, thankfully grew up in situations where you learned a lot about God's love, and I'm so grateful for that. But many of us here in Greenfield, we are here because we have escaped, in a way, from those sort of toxic expressions of the Christian faith. And a lot of people live with what's known as religious trauma. They experience those negative messages that the Christian faith has instilled in them. From a faith that was meant to teach them how loved and how worthy and how acceptable they were, our faith walks a sort of a tightrope, in a way, that we all acknowledge that we are human beings, that we do things that are wrong, and we acknowledge that the world is not as it could and should be. But where I think our faith has taken a wrong turn many times is it's gone into a, a, a territory of shame. And, and shame says that because I do things that are wrong, then I am bad, that I am not good enough. So it's ideas like original sin or ideas like total depravity within the Presbyterian tradition, that we are not good enough on our own, that we, we start first with how bad we are, not with how loved and acceptable we are. And what has happened and what continues to happen in so many places within the Christian faith is that people internalize those messages about themselves. And as anyone who has lived through that sort of experience will tell you that even as you deconstruct those ideas, even as you move away from those expressions of faith, those messages in a way stay with you. They remain with you throughout the rest of your lives. They're sort of like this, this voice that's always in the back of your head. And so the journey that Jesus is inviting us into is one of self-love and self-acceptance. It's an invitation to see ourselves as unconditionally and radically loved. It's a journey to recover that most original message that was spoken about us at the dawn of creation, that we are created good, we are created very good. I had a, right before I was ordained, I was in this little presbytery meeting and someone asked me, you know, what does Jesus save us from? And Which is an entirely enormous question and unfair to ask of any candidate, I think. Um, what does Jesus save us from? So in part, I think what Jesus saves us from is ourselves, from those harmful messages that we have received. And, and Jesus helps us to recover that, that original message that was spoken about us. That he helps us to undo those, those harmful messages that we have received about ourselves and to, to see ourselves as loved and accepted. Think about the people that Jesus spent his whole life hanging around. People who were called outcasts and sinners. They were called that, but that's not who they were. Jesus says that there are no outcasts in my kingdom, that there are people who are loved and who receive grace. 
Think about the, the ones that are called the least of these, our brothers and sisters. They're called the least of these, but that's not who they are. Jesus says they have immense and infinite value in the kingdom that I am building. And so Jesus is always helping us to undo these harmful messages, these destructive messages that we have received about ourselves. The beloved author Henry Nouwen says, You have to keep unmasking, unmasking the world around you. For what it is, it is manipulative, controlling, power-hungry, and in the long run, destructive. The world tells you many lies about who you are, and you simply have to be realistic enough to remind yourself of this. Every time you feel hurt, offended, or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am a chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity, and held safe in an everlasting belief. And that is what Jesus is inviting us to, to unmask those, those lies about ourselves, the lies that others have told us about who we are, the lies that we tell ourselves about who we are, and to accept that truest message about ourselves, that we are loved, that we are acceptable, and that we are worthy. Jesus communicates this throughout his life, especially for those who are dealing with those false narratives about themselves. There are, these are the truest messages about who we are. And that is the one message I think that we most need to know about ourselves. The theologian Paul Tillich, who I've been quoting a lot lately, and I'm going to quote him again next week, so familiarize yourselves with Paul Tillich, um, another dead white theologian. Um, <laughs> long dead, yes, long dead. <laughs> Um, talk about the 60s. I think he died in the 60s. Um, Paul Tillich says that we all have those experiences of being grasped by something that is greater than ourselves, of experiencing ourselves as accepted, that we are loved, that we are accepted by that which is beyond ourselves. And so it is learning to accept ourselves as accepted, to accept that we are loved and that we are worthy, that we are held acceptable by the God who is beyond us, but by the God who's also within and all around us. And one of the most healing things that I have learned to do in my own life is to celebrate the good things that I have to offer, what is good about me, and to also laugh and have a little fun and poke fun at myself for those little growing edges that I'm still working on. Um, to realize that, that I am good enough to accept myself for who I am and to accept that God is still working on me in those little rough places in my life because that is the most fundamental message about who we are. And I, I will never tire of saying it, that we are loved and that we are accepted and that we are worthy. You know, today is a, a special day, and it's not because Matthew Stafford is playing in the Super Bowl. Um, it's a special day because at the 11 o'clock service, we are going to have a baptism for uh, two of our newer attenders, uh, uh, Naya and Cora Wallace, their sisters, and their mom, Felicia, has been attending with them. Uh, Naya and Cora are 10 and 8, I believe. Um, so we're going to get to baptize them here in a little bit. And uh, baptism is always a, a wonderfully special occasion, um, especially when we baptize children, children who can't make the claim of faith for themselves. It's a reminder that, that God's grace and God's love are always ahead of us, always in front of us, um, that God's love is there before we could ever say we love you back uh, to God. And one of the things that I love about the Presbyterian Church is that we always baptize within community, that we don't have private services of baptism. Uh, we do in, in really ex ex uh, 
uh, really severe situations, so like in a hospital room. But even then, the, the attempt is made to connect it back to the community, uh, that we are always baptized in community and never by ourselves. And so that gives all of us, as the community, as Greenfield Church, an, an enormously important and sacred calling to be sure of the messages that we are giving to Naya and to Cora and to all of the children that exist within our congregation, that our sacred calling is to remind them of how loved and accepted they are because that is a message that they can carry with them throughout the rest of their lives. And when life gets hard, when other people in society, when other systems try to tell them who they are, try to give them false narratives about themselves, they can fall back to that message of how loved and accepted they are by God and by the community that surrounds them. That no matter where they go in their lives, whether they stay here at Greenfield forever, if they go somewhere else, we bear the responsibility of communicating that message to them. Because it is a message that all of us need to hear again and again and again. We are loved, we are accepted, we are worthy. I hope it's a message that we can learn to, to say to our kids. I know that we already say it to our kids. I, I hope it's a message we continue to say to our kids. And I hope it's a message that we can receive as true about ourselves. Thanks be to God. Amen.